0: Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Laurie Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport, Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Pelvic Health Podcast. It's Lori. Before I tell you about this exciting episode, I wanted to say thank you to some new sponsors of the podcast. We have Nadine Brown and Taryn Hallam. Thanks again, everybody, for your support. Those who are listening on Apple iTunes or Podbean, thanks for following. Please subscribe. Please leave a rating. But today's episode um, is completely out of my skill set and zone, but I was very excited to talk to Victoria Cullen. Now, if you don't know who she is, she is a sexual function specialist and PhD candidate. She obtained her bachelor's and master's in cognitive psychology from University College London. She works with prostate cancer patients at a private oncology clinic called Cancer Specialists, which is in Melbourne, Australia. Her current PhD research, which is at RMIT University, focuses on designing new products and services for erection rehabilitation. She runs this really new, cool website, which is called A Touchy Subject. Um, she's looking at doing product and information and a delivery service for people after prostate cancer treatment who are looking for answers beyond pills and injections. So today we are talking about sexual recovery for men and couples after prostate cancer surgery. We discuss common sexual health challenges that are facing men after prostate cancer surgery, some of which, actually most of which, I had no idea because I don't um, see men for this. Um, We talk about penile rehabilitation, who needs to know about it, when somebody should start doing this and how, um, how you can get help out there. So I had so much fun recording this with her and I hope that you guys enjoy it too. I'm really excited for today. So as I said, I don't actually treat. I treat some men for um, some pelvic pain, generally, or like long-standing constipation, but I don't do anything with penises. So I don't even know if I call them penises or peni or like my my knowledge <laughs> other than how to make a baby. <laughs> And maybe how to have fun with my husband is really, really minimal in this area. But I have actually had some men from the public as well as health professionals ask me to do something specifically on this topic. And even just with prostate cancer surgery. So that's why I thought, oh, my God, this is so perfect. So, hey.
1: Good to hear. Yes.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure how much has changed since we last talked when you said um, you, yeah, where you are and what you're doing.
1: Oh, so this is the thing. Look, since we last spoke, probably everything has changed. Which is (laughs) why I'm like,
0: okay, you're just going to need to tell me where you are and what you're doing. What's going – what has been going on? (laughs) Well, like I wanted to say as well, I've been on your
1: website and well done that you've got the patron patron page set up. And you've got people donating and like the number of downloads you're getting is amazing. You're killing it. I love it.
0: It's just wonderful to
1: cut touch base and see – how that evolution's happened. So cool. It is.
0: It was just, um I've always just covered the cost and I just went, you know what? I will see if I can at least kind of cover the cost of doing the podcast. And yeah, everyone has been extremely supportive. So yeah, no, it's been fun.
1: Yeah, no, great job. Okay. So I am now seeing when I, okay. So I see clients one-on-one just for prostate cancer and sexuality. So That's who I see at Cancer. So Cancer Specialists is a private oncology practice in Melbourne, and I'm there two days a week. And so clients who've gone through prostate cancer and so I'll put together for them their sort of full kind of usually erection is a big part of that menu, but we talk really broadly around all the things that have changed. So, and that's what a message I want really want to get out there is that so much can change after this surgery. It's not just the focus on erection, even though most people will first ask, when will my erection come back? There's usually much more going on. And then with that, um, I run a website called a touchy subject where I'm using actually a webinar format. Oh, yeah to interview I've seen experts, this. which I'm sure you'll be all about. Yes, I'm interviewing experts who also work in men's health and sexuality. So I've interviewed somebody on how exercise can affect erectile function. Um, and during the webinar, people from all over Australia, men all over Australia in the privacy of their home can ask anonymously their questions in a chat box so that we address what people like really, really want to know, but they're not even asking professionals. So it's to kind of get that conversation going and out there and then I also sell just look at the moment it's only a couple of products but I really want to expand that range and for it to be a website where sure you can buy sexuality products but they're medical grade they're not that sort of really smutty end or the really sterile end they're in the middle so something you can bring into your bedroom but you know is effective and quality and they come with training and guides on how to use them that I've created
0: oh that is wonderful the the webinars they're free aren't they or is it just a few free
1: They're all free. Yeah, at the moment, all the webinars are free, and I do them about once a fortnight. Um, But, again, if it's... so much fun I've sort of just gone exploring into that land when I saw you did the patron thing it's got me thinking like oh my god I wonder if I could cover my costs <laughs> doing something like
0: that. I am so surprised uh, the number of people that again have supported and um, I, I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of how the company is set up I haven't found anything in Australia it's an American company and you can you can have people charged in Australian dollars but then they still apply a conversion rate I don't know there's still some kind of glitches anyway i'm still working it out so yeah don't check it check it out and tell me if you find anything that's more local
1: i will that's really got me thinking i mean instantly i th- think of all the crowdfunding things like kickstarter they're still all american based and it's a different it's slightly different as well i know patreon's kind of
0: unique yeah in its and setup. Look, i think i think apple will jump on it at some point and, it, and if and when they do it yeah. will probably be set up a little bit better yeah. <laughs> okay go. so and the whole point of this podcast is to talk about sexual recovery for men and couples um, after prostate cancer surgery because I don't know enough about prostate cancer surgery you said even people the first thing that they think of is am I going to be able to have an erection again but what are kind of the common problems that people think about or should think about when they do have this surgery
1: Well, continence is front of mind, too. So likely they won't have um, good bladder control straight afterwards. And, you know, from clients, it often goes one after the other. They're told cancer. So there's the big C, and that's all they're thinking about. But before, they'll also be given those terms and conditions, like possibly you'll be incontinent for a while, and then possibly you'll have some sort of erectile dysfunction. And that's usually the full stop. However, it's more of a sexual dysfunction kind of holistically. So the most likely thing they'll get for sure is erectile dysfunction for some period of time, because with the removal of the prostate, the cavernous nerves responsible for erections surrounding the prostate. If they are not injured during surgery, they're least really traumatized just from the heat and the light of the operation. They're very precious nerves. So that's, and I think it's to, a big thing I want to get across is making men aware when we say erectile dysfunction, what that means. Because you say dysfunction often in relation to something like a dysfunctional teenager is up one minute down the next. This is not the same as an erection. <laughs> erectile <laughs> dysfunction is they could still feel aroused, but there's not going to be a physical response. And that's wow. often what men are not necessarily expecting. So to make it very clear what, what erectile dysfunction means, but also that other changes can happen too. I think so much suffering that I see from men after the surgery are is from what they weren't aware of. <laughs> What was going to happen so sometimes they experience penile shortening and they might lose some girth they also might experience climacteria so that's when you have urination upon orgasm or during arousal could also experience change to actual sensation pleasure and orgasm and you know it really depends on what someone's sex life was before for how much these you know different side effects will interrupt their sexual wellness but it's the bigger piece of a big part of their body has changed. And if they were aware that was going to change, it makes the journey a lot smoother. There's a lot of suffering when they're not sure what's happened and why it's happened.
0: Are a lot of these kind of common issues um, just in the short term like four to six weeks after surgery or you know I know that um, incontinence can persist afterwards but a lot of these that you've mentioned yeah. that I was not even aware of do are there common ones that persist longer than that initial kind of post-surgical complication?
1: Yeah it's a great question and I think we have to talk about time frames with everyone that we see from the prostate cancer journey too because we know that with the cavernous nerves say they are traumatized rather than completely cut. So if, if the nerves are completely injured and cut, then it's very unlikely that the spontaneous direction will return. You know, we sometimes see miracles, but mm. it's unlikely. Now, if the nerves are traumatized, though, and they're in a state of neuropraxia where the nerve is recovering, but it can take time, this kind of neuropraxia can take up to two years. So if the potential is there for them to regain erectile recovery, it, Still going to be probably a long journey. And I think a big issue I see are men have at some point along their journey spoken maybe to one healthcare professional who said, Oh, it can take a year. And then there's another who says something accidentally like, Oh, oh, you're young, it'll bounce right back. And so it's so imperative we get across that actually it's probably quite a long journey. And then with the other sexual function changes, and everyone will experience something to a different degree. There's just not enough literature to let us know what a really common experience is. So for a change to orgasm, for example, what we know is sometimes painful orgasm can be experienced early on, but then it just usually subsides over some months. But again, not entirely sure what the mechanism is behind that. What we know is usually change is common, but it can take time for it to occur.
0: Are they warned about that as well as in if you weren't warned that you could have an orgasm that is painful the first time that happens I could imagine how fearful and scary it would be I treat a lot of women with pelvic pain so I can under I could see then oh my goodness that would be um, scary and then it could get in your head and then the next time it happens or the fear or oh goodness.
1: Absolutely and I think a a bit of suffering that i see that i think we can all help to reduce is letting men know look how normal it is for them to experience sexual function change across the board some men they'll experience painful orgasm some will experience actually an even better orgasm which is longer and and can be much more intense and more of an internal type of feeling but again if they don't know that's actually normal to occur sometimes they're actually even afraid when that happens because they feel like it's not normal, that it's not supposed to have happened.
0: But then does that go away too? <laughs> so, <laughs> and, then, and then they worry it's going to go away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, the th- that's the thing. We, um, we've got a lot of literature in this particular field around the erection. There's been a real focus on on erectile dysfunction for a really good reason that most patients are asking the question when will the erection come back of course that's the biggest change but if the orgasm has changed too the length the size or the experience of pleasure of course if they weren't warned that that could happen then they think they might be the only one and then if they address it we're still in a position where people aren't entirely sure what's happening and what to do about it so it's something I'm really keen on doing is gathering as many options as possible so men always have hope that there's always something else to try that the body is designed to adapt especially adapt sexually when something happens to the function there's always a way of being able to achieve pleasure again that's what I like to focus on like physically a lot of things change and yes, yeah, some of those might be permanent but the experience of pleasure intimacy connection closeness passion the body is designed to adapt to that and create that in many different ways.
0: So is this where penile rehabilitation comes in? Yes. Yeah, so
1: penile rehabilitation comes in when we specifically are talking about spontaneous
0: erection. Okay. So, so not the other issues but, that you yeah. were mentioning earlier. Yeah. So something I'd love to do with clients is almost to yeah, get, get a full
1: sexual history out on the table of every single thing that's changed. Um, because also it can be helpful sometimes to compartmentalize this. It helps them. Um, get across the framework that, you know, an orgasm is on a different nervous system to the erection. These are actually two separate events. So, sure, sometimes creating and being able to create erections again, of course, would impact arousal and orgasm and pleasure. Maybe even just from the perspective of stress reduction could lead to a much better pleasurable experience. But it is perfectly possible for men to have orgasms without erections. So we sort of separated a bit to then explain, well, penile rehabilitation is specifically about the erectile tissue, the smooth muscle tissue in the actual penis itself. And, you know, it's a discussion around, well, what makes a spontaneous erection occur? So what can help men increase their chances of regaining a spontaneous erection when it no longer is there due to the nerves being traumatized?
0: Does this, um, does this type of rehabilitation have a role when you were talking about when the nerves are cut? Is there any like what what are we just talking about when the nerves are traumatized and damaged
1: that's a great question so erection rehabilitation i think should be often explained to everybody who's experienced any degree of erectile dysfunction whatever the underlying cause you know the erection when it just happens like clockwork nobody thinks it's you know, a whole orchestra together because all they hear is music. But when one bit of it doesn't work, we suddenly realize, wow, there's a lot of different sections here and a lot that's going on underneath it. So um, even when there's non-nerve sparing, I think we have to let men know, look, it is a bit, if you don't use it, you lose it in terms of, you know, If you're no longer experiencing nocturnal erections, then the smooth muscle tissue can become fibrotic. You could develop venous leakage, so then you've got even more underlying problems as well as the neurogenic cause. So it's important to just keep creating erections in some form, whether that's from using a product like a vacuum erection device or using injections, into cavernosal injections. Um,
0: Thank you. I'm sitting here going, if the nerves are cut, how are they going to create an erection? But there are products and things to help them do that. Oh, this is such a whole new world to me. Oh, well, I'm happy to educate. Look, (laughs) the thing is, it's
1: a whole new world usually to the men who are going through this, especially. I think that's why I became so fascinated in this this area was – I saw that there was such a, a gap in understanding from people who were going through this themselves that was causing such significant suffering that often with even just a 15 minute conversation, sometimes like drawing out a stick figure of a person and, and saying things like, well, the erection starts in your mind first. So that's a part of erectile um, rehabilitation is let's talk about stress reduction. Let's talk about pleasure and arousal. We have to start here first, you know, and then it travels down the spine and to really, really explain, you know, it's, when the nerves are offline as well, Viagra won't work. So a lot of them are very distressed because they'll be given a script for Viagra for erectile dysfunction in general, but because this is neurogenic, the, yeah, the Viagra has nothing to combine with, so it cannot create that erection that we're used to seeing in the media version of viagra and that, that then leads to more suffering so i think a lot of um just erection education can really help society in general understand what's going on and to realize you know it's not actually a simple beast it's quite complex there's a lot of um boxes that need ticking for a whole spontaneous erection to occur
0: yeah so if they can't have so they can't have a spontaneous erection if the nerves are cut
1: Absolutely. So, if the if the cavernous nerves are, I just call it offline. So that could be they're permanently damaged or they're traumatized. Now, a problem is we currently still don't know exactly what you know treatments or techniques could speed up nerve recovery. And it's also very very difficult to tell what has happened to the nerves after the surgery. It's just they're so very, very thin, and it's difficult to know unless you know with that passing of time is when you basically start to find out by Uh, how well the erection's doing. And it's because it's quite a long journey, you know, you're talking potentially two years for the full potential of those nerves coming back. Well, over those two years, if the erection hasn't been used at all, you know, from a physio perspective, look, if any part of the body isn't being used for two years, you're gonna have all kinds of other complications going on. You need to keep oxygenated blood flowing through. Even just from a psychological perspective, being able to sort of keep blood going, pleasure, using the erection the way they used to, even just seeing it can be extremely relieving and just good from a a mental health perspective. Um, And I think men being talked through the fact that, look, there are many options for creating an erection manually, even if you're not feeling aroused, just so that you know you're kind of doing your penis push-ups, as I call them then you know that you're at least giving your body that health and that ongoing rehab to see what happens over those two years.
0: So when, so after surgery, there's going to be some type of nerve damage. We really don't know how much. It's something that kind of evolves over time. So everybody really needs to do this type of rehabilitation. So um, you were talking about um, some... So when you talk about needing to do this rehabilitation, and you were talking about spontaneous Um, erections and getting them to do to manually create an erection if they're not kind of using products to manually create what how are they helping with the spontaneous erections are there anything specific or if you can is there some sort of timeline you think of with not tissue healing but that you would bring people through with regards to rehabilitation does that make sense
1: Yes, Yes, yeah, so I think when I when I sit down with so say I sit down with a man and he's been through surgery. And usually the first question he does have in his mind is, look, like the when will this come back? And we have to first explain, look, it's we cannot put any kind of timeline on when this comes back. But what we can do is maximize your chances of getting the full potential that you can from you know when or if the nerves come back online and so then we go through kind of a menu of options on what rehabilitation exercise looks like and actually, uh, one of the best things they can do is just general whole-body aerobic exercise, and that can be a great motivation to get men back into the kind of exercise that they and all of us should be doing anyway. If you can find a good underlying motivation to get you exercising properly, great. You know, find it and go for it. So there's good. Um, there's some really good evidence in other areas of erectile dysfunction showing that the first line of treatment um, should be aerobic exercise in general. Wow. Um, then we can yeah, then we can start to talk more around, look, by using, taking a tablet like Viagra or Cialis is still usually recommended as a first-line treatment by a lot of urologists because if the nerves are online, it would show that they are online by really, in such a like kind turbocharging what's already starting to happen. Um, I think it just needs to be made so clear to men that for them not to worry if it doesn't work, it's not actually likely to work. The nerves, especially straight after surgery, even three, six, or twelve months after, are still likely to be completely offline.
0: Okay. So
1: then we can talk about right. Well, how can you make an erection? Product-wise, they could try vacuum erection device. So that's a way of manually pulling blood into the penis Those using are the a device pumps, that's Right. So this is yeah. Colloquially, we call this penis pump. Okay. And then the more the Clinical version gets called the vacuum erection device. And the medical grades have a few sort of good features going for them, just the right kind of pressure for a chronic for the case of chronic erectile dysfunction. Penis pumps, more colloquially, tend to be used for men who can gain an erection. They just want a little bit more. So the base of the pump tends to be a bit larger, more larger than is necessary for these men who've probably experienced shrinkage. So there's a few, there's a few different facts when we use a different terminology yeah so that but that way of doing things you know it has its positive in terms of well it's not a needle it's not something that's going in the body it's outside the body and it can then be used also daily to help men regain any length that they've lost during surgery so we've got it's not a huge body of evidence unfortunately we still don't have good longitudinal data or the big sample sizes we need but there's evidence that if men are worried about the shrinkage that's a occurred the best possible treatment they can do is a daily vacuum erection device technique
0: for how long um, or regime
1: for for how long during one sort of sitting no or like over over time.
0: over time how long would they need to use that for to kind of get the benefits
1: yeah so the studies have um shown every day for four weeks has helped um yeah, helps men regain a lot of the length that they lost, if not completely regain. And they've also shown this for men who are going for a penile implant to use a vacuum device four weeks before every day, also, then helps to sort of stretch out the muscle tissue and make for an easier surgery as well. So it's kind of interesting. Um, so, in the, and then the device, when it's used with a constriction ring, can keep the erection so they then have something that they can use for pleasure. Or they at least know, well, I've done my rehabilitation. So it's also always depends on people's goals as well. Mm. You know, Some men will say, I don't mind if I never have a spontaneous erection again, but I want to know I can definitely make one when I want it. Yeah. Whereas others, the goal is purely rehabilitation. Um, and then your other option are injections too. And yeah, the, the injection, it's not popular at first everybody's eyes sort of pop out their heads kind of like a bit of a everyone has a cartoon moment it's just sort of like you're asking me to do what and every time it happens I have to say to the men look everyone goes through this it's not the needle you're imagining it's actually the needle most diabetics would use that really really thin you can use auto injectors so that you don't see the needle. So the person themselves
0: Um, um, injects it's not that they go somewhere to have it injected
1: Right, so the the I think the gold standard for somebody who wants to explore injections for erections would be to first see an injection therapist one-on-one. So a trained nurse practitioner, somebody who's trained in delivering intercavernosal injections, so they can explain the technique, they can explain priapism, the side effects they need to be aware of, and somebody they could back and forth with around what the dosage is that's best for them, which they can only discover over time of using it a few times. I think that's the best to see somebody one-on-one. Yeah, but then they
0: inject themselves they inject themselves
1: or a partner can help. Yeah. That's oh. it. So it's the, you go, it's the eye, it's the eye watering. Yeah. The eye watering experience when you think about it, but the mental imagery of it is so much worse than when they use it. If you think about it, most they also have to inject themselves, yeah. get used to that over time too. Just not and in their genitals. It really depends on how much they like the results, honestly. So some men yeah. will say, goodness, this is just so um, similar to the erection I had before surgery that it makes it all worthwhile. You know. So some men like that they're actually in control of when they can make the erection. They don't need to be aroused when they first inject, so they have some control over that as well. Um, there's With every single option, there's a lot of tweaking that men have to do to find the right thing that works for them. And I think so much of this conversation, if you have it with somebody who's considering erection rehabilitation, is setting that expectation that, look, it's often a long journey, and to find the option that works best for them it's going to be a bit of troubleshooting kind of cobbling together probably a few techniques and trying things out over the long time so things like, like having a supportive partner a sense of humor um you know really looking having a good hard look at sort of sexual beliefs and any shame that's underlying that it's it's also a time when that comes up too
0: so, if they have a partner that they want to be performing penetration, at what point are they able to start doing that? If they can get an erection with using any of the rehabilitation devices or tools,
1: well, that's really um, for them to decide. As soon as so, there's no restriction. It depends on hey, how do no restrict there's there's no um yeah there's nothing that could be wrong about having intercourse after surgery once they the, once they can create create an erection that they want to have intercourse with yeah and go for it okay. there's no harm in doing that there's no harm to the penis that's happened it's um yeah, the erection function is purely from the nerves. So, and and it's it's a question I will get from clients though is, well, when are we going to have an erection that we can use for intercourse? And I kind of reframe it to them as well. You know, what well, what is intercourse? Mm, you know, it's, if it's not just penetration.
0: That,
1: it's not just about penetration. We have to after course. and also that you know, sure, you may not get the 10 out of 10 erection that you had, you know, in your 20s when you're most active and at your healthiest. However, you know you can have still really lovely slow sex with lots of lubricant. You can still have like an outer course and also intercourse experience, but it will just probably feel and look different. But you know it—it it becomes a well, it does become a conversation around what is sex at the end of it and um, what gives you pleasure. Still, let's always work towards pleasure. Um, so that's the only. This is the. This is where it can become a tricky area. What's what's rehabilitation versus what is a pleasurable experience with a partner? A lot of couples will say to me, you know, this whole thing is becoming pretty clinical and mechanical. You know, that's a very specific role play that not a lot of people <laughs> might be into. So, yeah. So do you a, work through that with them? It's a much longer them? conversation. Yes, and the work that I'll do when I've got a client is all conversation-based and really digging into these questions of well, what is sex? You know, when else, when else in your life have you not been able to have intercourse if that was the main part of your menu? And talk a lot about the sexual menu. You know, if it's one dish on the menu, how big's the menu? You know, maybe now you have more of a tapas than a sort of starter, main course, dessert. You know, your sex life is probably going to look different.
0: So you said tapas not tap ass because I think the Skype cut (laughs) right when you said that Skype blanked out for a second and I went, hold on, is this part of rehabilitation? No, you mean like um, something on a restaurant menu, right? Yeah, we are definitely talking food analogies. It's just that sometimes
1: the food analogies are also puns. It's a pretty fun area to work in, but it can be so challenging when I just Um. accidentally talk in puns constantly (laughs) and people lose track of what we're actually talking about.
0: Now, you snuck in lubrication there. So I'm going to ask you, are there any specific lubrications that you recommend that they use?
1: I always instigate a conversation around silicone-based lubricant. Because most people's experience out there, you know that I'm a big lube advocate, Laurie. <laughs> yes, and we'll have another epi-
0: hat on now. Lubrarian <laughs> hat, and we'll have another episode yeah, on Yeah, the that. Lubrarian <laughs> hat and glasses
1: are on. Let's go. <laughs> I will talk to them about silica based lubricant because a lot of people have not experienced the difference between um, the water versus the silicon water base. It's just so readily available, but because it dries up so quickly, when someone's renavigating their sex life, we're often talking about a much longer and slower sexual experience. Experience that's going to require a lubricant that can also go the distance. So, I recommend them a silicon based lubricant that's actually probably got really what we call heavy silicon particles. So, something like Uber Lube is great, usually lasts between 20 to 30 minutes. Something that can last even longer is something like them. There's a pure um, medical lubricant, so it's just called Pure Med. Um,
0: P-U-R? And it's just a really,
1: really long, yeah, the PJUR, that's it, yes. sort of a German branding, yep. Yeah there's one that's in a black bottle and then, and then there's the medical one which is in a white bottle I think and yeah both are just really super long lasting um and also they're designed to be more for pleasure than for sort of replacing wetness so it's more of a silky sensation feels like they've actually brought um, a really nice pleasurable touch into the room um, as well so it sort of can be a nice introduction to them even even moving into an erection aid, if they've never brought anything into their sex lives before, the whole thing can be pretty confronting and overwhelming as any big change is. And this is a sensitive topic for a lot of people. So change in this area is even more sensitive.
0: Um, do they need to or sh- would they be using condoms? Do men have to worry about ejaculation after surgery? Do they ejaculate?
1: Yeah, great great question. What they absolutely have to know about ejaculation is that they will no longer have it. Once the prostate is removed, no ejaculate will occur. So they'll have what gets called a dry orgasm. Um, And again, if men know about this before surgery, they're ready. But if they don't know that this is going to happen, this is a very surprising experience. Um, And it can be really upsetting for a lot of men, obviously, depending on what meaning they've attached to to ejaculation but that can also change their experience of orgasm so they will be orgasming but there'll be no ejaculation
0: Uh, which is why when you you paused when i asked the question about the condom because you're like why do you want to know that's because (laughs) you don't need to keep any the fluids in unless they're having the leakage problems
1: so and that is for i mean it's still like it still stands that the condom the condom is a sexual health um protective barrier if they are having sexual intercourse and yeah. it's with somebody they don't know their sexual history, then of course the condom is still recommended. Yes. Um, however, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the condom being to, you know, stop ejaculate um, from it going into someone's body, there's no ejaculation. So the, the thing that they may be worried about in terms of fluids could be urination um, if they're experiencing that, which is climacteria.
0: Okay. But it still feels the same, their orgasm technically.
1: You know, it's so interesting. The I mean, orgasm that's
0: so, so subjective. <laughs>
1: tends to change. It's So subjective. Yeah, look, it, it's it's just part It's part of the questions that I will always ask clients is, look, are you experiencing change to orgasm? Because some men do, some men don't. And it's always just a different answer, Leah. For some men, they go, yeah, look, the orgasm is pretty much the same. For some of them, they're like, well, the orgasm is the same, but not ejaculating does change the experience of it. That's strange. And then I've had clients who've said, no, the orgasm is completely different. And some of them say, look, it's this like long, elongated, almost, they call it like a female like internal orgasm, um, which is fascinating because I mean there's a whole other area of sexuality called tantra where men are trying to separate their experience of ejaculation from orgasm to experience this kind of sensation. Um so, but then again, you know, has them have has medicine studies in this nope not yet so
0: they shouldn't go and have this surgery done in order to achieve a tantric orgasm
1: this is i've actually had to i've actually had to say to one client who um who did say i've been telling all my friends how good the orgasm is i'm like please don't go tell them to have their prostate removed (laughs) because you know this isn't an experience everybody gets and you know it's still an experience that some men need to adjust to some men miss the kind of orgasm they used to have you know that's thing sex is so subjective it's so so subjective what somebody's good sex life looks like to them and they think that's must be everybody's good sex life no everyone's different so of course like the condom is a barrier so they might be wanting to use a barrier method if of course they're with a new partner and that usual the usuals sexual health um, mm. sort of safety, use a condom. Another way that they may want to be using condoms is if they're experiencing climacteria and that's um, mm. kind of bothering them where they're experiencing yeah, the it urination on orgasm arousal. So I have had clients who create an erection some way, injection or, or the pump, and then would apply a condom in order to catch urination. The urine, of course, that comes out is sterile and sometimes it's or maybe more what they need is a conversation around... That urine, the urine that comes out is sterile, so can't harm their partner or can't harm themselves. It's and it's very normal for them to use, like lose some urine. That's that's okay, and that usually with pelvic floor exercises over time is something that diminishes. Um, they could also um, be playing together in the shower or in a bath so that they can't see or experience the urine. Um, that's that's probably the main reason they use a condom. Um, I believe if someone's undergone radiation treatment, using a condom is recommended at some period of time during that. I have to remind myself when it is after this, I see so many men who have gone through surgery rather than radiation that you have to go brush up.
0: Um, so you just mentioned pelvic floor exercises, which we didn't, um, kind of get to or discuss. So is this part of the penile rehabilitation or is this just part of the process of rehabilitation?
1: Great question. Pelvic floor exercise, of course, is so imperative for these men for their bladder control and their ongoing continence after prostatectomy. And what I find fascinating is we're still looking into what the role of pelvic floor is for potentially be part of penile rehabilitation as well. Um, I mean, we 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 know that the whole area below the belt, all those muscles, have a role to play in orgasm, in erection, and just general genital health. So, look, I I believe all very holistic and it can all it all works together so doing pelvic floor is likely to have good impact on sexual function um look of course when when they're dealing with neurogenic ed when the nerves are offline the main thing is They really are going to have to wait and everything else that is happening. A lot of that is more to do with just getting as much good oxygenated blood flow into the penis muscle tissue as possible. And while the literature isn't definite on any particular method of penile rehab, the general consensus is, you know, don't leave it. don't, Don't just wait for something to happen. Men who are doing something tend to have better results than those who don't. So it's kind of just getting that quite message across that, you know, it doesn't matter what um, kind of rehab regime they put together. If it's the best one, the one that doesn't, you know, become so clinical, it kills their sex life. is easy for them to do on a daily or weekly basis, whatever fits in with their routine. Um, it's just to make sure we get across that message. Look, don't just wait and see. think So many men here, oh, it'll come back eventually. So basically don't touch do not touch their penises for years and then we want to avoid that regret
0: back i love that aerobic physical activity plays such a big role in that i mean we want that to be what everybody needs um just for health so the fact that that there's research showing that this is a big part of it is really uh really good if um if anybody is considering going through the surgery or has gone through this surgery, or even for health professionals, because that's generally the main people who listen to this and they want to learn more about this, other than accessing your webinars and your information that we will put a link to, where else can they go to work, to kind of learn a little bit more about it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Like I hope that more um, short courses come out. A couple of short courses well <laughs> In terms of just, just prostate cancer and sexuality, um, I actually this year did a really wonderful uh, training course that's provided over in Canada called the Share Training. And um, I believe that's part of the True North Project. Uh, it's one of those ones where I'm not sure they have a website up, but look, if people are interested in learning as much as they can about this area, they're very welcome to email me because I sort of collect as many of these sort of short course ideas of the webinars um, as I can. A lot of the reason I started up the webinars were I was also struggling to find extra places that I could actually send people who asked me to go apart from going on a big scoop, like a big Google scholar you know, deep dive is where I've been. And of course, my PhD research that about halfway through is on prostate cancer and sexuality. So I've gone deep into the literature, but then of course, making that accessible and, and easy, yeah, easy to educate on. I think this, this one training course was wonderful. And yeah, I hope that, I hope that more um, ways of accessing this stuff becomes available.
0: Was the training course for the public or for health professionals?
1: It's for health professionals. Um, It's nice, sort of small. It was, I believe it was about 12 weeks and had had a mix of, you know, online forum, reading the literature and then having group discussion once a week. And that suited me down to the ground. Being being in Australia, I was waking about five o'clock in the morning to join people over in Canada for it, but it was worth it.
0: Yeah! Oh, yay! Go Canada! Um, now, yeah. your on your website. It was talking about consultations are closed on. There's no internal examinations um, that you're doing with patients. So. Even though face to face is extremely important for comfort and rapport and information, do you do online consulting as well for people who aren't able to get to you or feel more comfortable?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I do. I do Skype consultations, especially people who are interstate. Um, Good. So even for new patients as well. Wide. What was that sorry? Even
0: for new patients that you do online consulting for as well.
1: Yeah, I have done that. And I think it's something that led me into the webinar space was realizing actually for people to be able to talk in the privacy of their home or around a time that suits them. So they don't have to make yet another car parking appointment. Because I'm often seeing people when they're really deep in the recovery stage and they've just gone through their whole cancer journey and they've just done so many car parks, appointments, you know, the time that they spent doing that. They don't necessarily want to be in another clinic room. They want to be in a different stage of that journey so yeah I love to the idea of creating more resources that people can have in the privacy of their homes really appeals
0: and is it best if they discuss with you before they have surgery or is there a certain time that they should be talking like does it help to kind of give them idea of the um options that may be available before surgery and then they come back to discuss with you a month afterwards or when do you usually talk to people?
1: I usually see people when it's really on their mind the most, which unfortunately is when it's really hit home and that's often three to six months after surgery. So when should they see you? (laughs) Look, when should, yeah, my absolute ideal would be that people saw me before surgery, the absolute ideal. Even because if we can start to have a discussion around them, um, just starting new sexual behaviours, re-navigating their sex life to try new ways of experiencing pleasure, um, especially that aren't so intercourse-based, that's a much better time to be doing that work before things start to change. Of yeah. course, um, even they could start, you know, they could actually just for fun try out an erection aid once or twice to just sort of try the technique so it's not so maybe confronting when they try it out later. And and of course, also we can have a much longer discussion around what to expect, so sort of mentally prepare. The problem of course is they have cancer front of mind, which of yeah. course, of course they do. That's completely normal, That's then that's what they hear, what they wanna just deal with first. And most reaction when they hear you'll have sexual side effects is, look, I don't care, I just need the cancer out and then I'll deal with that. So it's it's natural it's human in an absolute ideal world I would absolutely see everyone beforehand.
0: All right and then if you don't see them beforehand but they when when is kind of the earliest that they should see you after the surgery? So I've
1: seen a lot of it does come down honestly to motivation. Yeah. So some people and of course what they're experiencing too, you know, yeah. you know it's some people will experience different degrees and it will affect them differently. So um and it's when they're, it's when they feel ready too. Like some people's continence healing journey takes a lot longer than others. So, um, I've seen, I've seen men as sort of early as like four weeks afterwards. So this still usually is that, um, getting their energy back, just getting their life back in order. And then that four week point, the very motivated men will absolutely come see me and will start, start a regime. And you know, even they, there's no um real definite time frame on when they should or shouldn't be having sex as well that is varies happens on a very individual basis on when they feel ready to engage sexually
0: yeah oh that that is this information has been um, very interesting to me because, like I said, not my area, but I'm so happy that we've got people like you who are so passionate and knowledgeable that can share this information. So thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about this.
1: Thank you, Laurie. Look, as you can hear, I love sharing this yes. information. <laughs> I think it's, it's a conversation, of course, we're not having yeah. regularly and and these men, it's of a very very new conversation with them and you know the the more that we can practice I think talking about sexuality in lots of different ways and areas the better that we'll all feel and the world will take a big sigh of relief knowing that change is the norm we're all probably going to change through our lives there is no normal sex there's no normal really anything it's you know no one is isolated if they're going through sexual difficulties especially after this surgery it's more likely than not the change will occur
0: yeah oh that is that is brilliant um is there anything else that you wanted to add Oh, just that
1: I would love to see as many people as possible in the
0: chat box when I do my
1: live webinars. They happen about every fortnight and I interview an expert on a specific area of sexuality or prostate cancer. And in the chat box, it gives people an opportunity to ask this expert questions, which is a nice little rare uh, moment. And it's really wonderful, the kind of discussion that gets going. So yeah, yeah, I hope to see more people there and yeah if they visit my website at touchysubject.com that's where they can find more information about that.
0: And they can and health professionals as well as patients can access those webinars. It's for everyone right? Absolutely Yes, absolutely it's a mix and
1: it's lovely. I've, it's lovely to actually get a mix of patients, health professionals, even people who are advocates, for patients, partners. yeah, it's, it's a good learning environment.
0: Cool. I wish you luck with everything and I can't wait to do our next podcast on Loop.
1: Yes, I'm very excited for that too. And, and you know, any, any other sort of sexuality and product and rehab-related areas, I'm constantly expanding my own knowledge to and just desperately wanting to talk to other people about it because I think it's fascinating.
0: Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great holiday season. Stay safe. Make somebody else drive. Um, and I can't wait to be back in the new year.